Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. It defines or tells who he is. Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah the Tishbite, not the fishbite, but the Tishbite. And why did they call him a Tishbite? Because he came from a little place called Tishbe. He was one of the Gilead, Gileadites who had had uh, had had received a a place among the Israelites. He wasn't a true Israelite, but he was a Gileadite, and he was a Tishbite. But he was used of the Lord to prophesy to the nation of Israel. He loved God. He loved the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And 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 he was a defender of God. And he he the first time we see him, he's standing before Ahab and Jezebel, and he's prophesying that there's going to be a three and a half year drought. Now, how would you like to be told of the Lord to go before the the the, the leader of, of your nation and tell them that God says there's going to be a drought for three and a half years? And they ask you the question, why? Is well, because of your wickedness and because of your sin, because of the sins of the nation, that you're going to have this drought. And so this was the message that he had for Ahab. And he goes before Ahab and he tells him the message. And sure enough, things dry up. Then for the next three and a half years, things got really, really rough in the capital of Israel, which was Samaria. And as we know, they're, they're, they're doing all kinds of stuff, you know, selling donkey heads and all kinds of stuff for, for extraordinary amounts of money and eating things we normally wouldn't eat, which certainly weren't kosher, like pigeon dung and stuff like that and just all kinds of stuff. And, and for three and a half years, it gets really, really rough. Well, God sends Elijah to a, a woman who also happens to be a Tishbite. And, and he sends her, him to her, and when he gets to her, she is down to her last little bit of meal and, and water and oil. Matter of fact, she had already determined that she was going to bake a cake, and she and her son were going to eat it, and they were going to die. That was, that was what she was thinking. You know, how many of you have ever been to that place? You just felt like there's nothing else to live for. I'm just going to blow my bank account, pull my retirement out, spend it all the way, and then I'm just going to die. I'm just, life is over as far as I know it. This was her, this was her thinking. But uh, Elijah comes to her and he says to her, bake me a cake. She tells him, well, this is what we're going to do with it. You know, we're going to, he says, bake me a cake. And she obeys him. And so she bakes him a cake, of, and, and, and they eat it. He shares it with them, and they eat it. Well, the amazing thing is that this little flask of flour and oil that she had kept being replenished. I mean, it didn't, like, all of a sudden fill up the pantry with oil and flour and whatever they needed, but they had just enough to get them through the drought, that season of three and a half years. And a lot of things transpire within this time that, that they're in the middle of this drought. You know, Israel had, had, had degenerated to the place that they had forgotten God. They had forgotten all about Yahweh, and they were now worshiping a God called Baal. And they had prophets of Baal. They had 450 prophets that prophesied for Baal. And Abraham, or, or um, Elijah was just pricked in his heart by what they were doing. And so he reached a point where he said, they've got to come to a decision if they're going to serve God 
are they going to serve the Baals? And we know about the contest that happened in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, how that, had, that uh, Elijah called for all the prophets of Baal to come and to meet him on Mount Carmel. And they were going to come to a decision of who is God. He had told the people, he says, how long are you going to vacillate between two opinions? How long are you going to, you're going to look at God this one day at Yahweh and the next day you're going to be looking at the Baals? You need to come to a decision in your life as who you're going to serve. And so we're going to find out who the true God is. And so Elijah takes him up on Mount Carmel, and, and he tells him, all right, he said, what we're going to do is we're going to have a contest, and, and we're going to find out whose God is God, and the one who is truly God is the one who will answer by fire. So we're going to give you the opportunity to go first. So here's what you do. You bring a sacrifice and bring the wood, and let's put it on the altar, and then we'll kill the sacrifice, and we'll lay it on the altar, and then we will cry out to our God, and the one who answers is God. And so they come out, and they, you know, they, they do their thing, and they, they lay the sacrifice on the altar, and then they start calling out on their God. They're yelling and screaming and whatever they did, you know, and, 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 and they, it gets more and more intense, and they go through every mantra that they know how to go through. They say every kind of incantation they know how to say. They give every curse they know how to give. They do everything they can to get their God to answer, and we know that he doesn't answer. And Elijah starts to taunt them. He's like, well, you know, where's your God? Um, have you looked over here? Maybe he's over there. Well, it's a possibility. Maybe he went to the bathroom. You know, he's, you know, and, and so they, they get so, so bent on their God answer, they start to cut themselves, you know, let blood, and you know, it's, it, it becomes a bloody, bloody mess. The God never answers. So finally, toward the end of the day, Moses, uh, Abraham says, oh, not Abraham, Elijah says, okay, now, we're going to see that my God is the true God. The God of Israel, Yahweh, is the true God. And so he says, all right, now, here's what I want you to do, though. I want you to, to we, we killed the sacrifice, we put it on the altar. Now, I want you to take water and put it on the altar. And so they, they took water and they put it on the altar. He said, that's not enough. Let's put a little bit more. So they put some more water on it. They did this three times. They actually dug a trench around it, and, it, and the trench filled up full of water. They put so much water on the sacrifice. And then Abraham just prays this simple prayer to his God. And we know, not Abraham, Elijah, I got Abraham in my brain. So Elijah prays, and God answers. We know he answers by fire. And not only does he answer by fire, not only does he consume the sacrifice and the wood and everything, he consumes the rocks. He even licks up the water that's in the trench. Now, this is God. This is an amazing thing. This is how God operates. Whatever God does, he does it well. He, 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 he licks it all up, the wood, the dust, everything. And, and so Elijah, he sees this great miracle of God. And then he says, bring all the, all the prophets of Baal. He brings all the prophets of Baal, and he has them killed. You know, he, he wipes them all out. And then he takes the prophets of Ashura, and he, he wipes them all out. So that's 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Ashura, and he, he wipes them all out, and he proves whose God is God. And then, the next thing you know, the word gets back to Ahab and Jezebel. And Jezebel says, and she, she says this in front of Obadiah, it says it in front of all the other people. She says, surely by this time tomorrow, I can find Elijah, he's a dead man. Just as he killed the prophets, he's going to go down the same way. 
And Elijah heard about it. And what do you think he does? He runs to the, he runs to the palace and he confronts Jezebel and he says, all right, you know, no, he doesn't, does he? What does he do? He runs. He's afraid. And he runs into the wilderness. And he finds a place and he gets under a little juniper tree and he's just worn out from running from Jezebel. And there he lays down to take a nap. Now, this is where we're going to, this is where it gets good. Now, this is what I want to say to you. How many of you have, have expended yourself sometimes? You feel like you've done everything for God you know how to do. You, do, you just burned yourself out. You're just exhausted. That was Elijah. He was just exhausted. He was worn out. He had confronted the prophets of Baal. He had been used of God to speak to Ahab and Jezebel. He had, he had been used of God to, to carry this widow through the time of, 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 of uh, famine. And then, you know, on top of all of that, he had gone back and, and, and gone up on Mount Carmel after he had, had, had taken care of the prophets of Baal to go up on Mount Carmel and he prayed and he brought rain. Remember, that was, that was intense praying. That wasn't like going up and saying, okay, God, it's time for the drought to end. Let's just, let's just get it over with and just let it rain. That wasn't the way it happened. And I want to tell you something else. In James chapter 5, there's a verse that describes what Elijah was like. You want to know what he was like? He was just like we are. It says in James 5, 17, that Elijah was a man with like passions, even as you and I. But Elijah prayed. And when Elijah prayed, God caused a drought that lasted three and a half years. It says he prayed again, and God opened up the heavens and, and watered the earth. He brought an end to the drought when Elijah prayed. But let me tell you how Elijah prayed. Elijah went up on Mount Carmel and he prayed with his head to the ground in a birthing position in travail before God. How many of you have ever gotten on your face before God like that and you prayed diligently about something that you wanted to see come to pass and you saw God answer? Maybe it wasn't the first time you prayed. Maybe you had to get on your face many times like that and pray in order for God to answer. I know when my mother prayed for me, there was a lot of times I would come in in the middle of the night and I was so far away from God, I'd, I'd run about as far as I could go. It was kind of like we were talking about in our, 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 our uh, purple book study this morning. We were talking about sin and what the first responses that we have to sin is, first of all, to try to cover it up. Then we try to hide ourselves. Then we try to run from God. That was the way that I tried to deal with my sin. Try to keep it secret as much as I could, but it wasn't no secret to anybody because everybody could tell. And I try to cover it up, and I try to hide, and then I try to run from God. That's where I was. I was running from God. I was running from myself. I was running from my destiny, and I knew it. But I didn't think anybody else did. But my mother was praying for me, and a lot of times I would come in in the middle of the night. I would hear my mama down on her face before God crying out my name. I think when she knew I walked through the door, she'd cry louder. Because she knew that it did something to me. It just pierced my heart when she would cry out to God on my behalf. But as obstinate and as, as cold as I was toward God, God knew what it would take in order for me to come to my senses, and he sought me out. There was no place else to run. But Elijah prayed. He prayed seven times. 
He had his servant that he would send up on top of the mountain. He would send him up on Mount Carmel, and he would say, do you see any rain? And he'd go up and he'd look, and he'd come back and say, nothing yet. Clear as a bell. And he would send him up again, and, and, and he did this six times. And, and finally, over the last time, you know, he says, he said, do you see anything now? He says, well, and, and nothing yet. But on the seventh, he said, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand off in the distance. Well, I want to tell you something, folks. Sometimes we look for things and we look for a sign from God and we look for something big for God to do. But sometimes God does something that seems so small and insignificant, but in fact, it's huge. It's large. God does something great and we don't even see it. Elijah could have missed it. He said, well, maybe God just isn't going to answer. No, he didn't say that. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, you run and tell Ahab to get ready because I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Wow. Off of a little cloud? He said, get ready because I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. He could see God was doing something. And so after this, though, he runs and 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 uh, he, his servant goes and tells Ahab, and Ahab comes out to meet him. And Elijah, it says, when, when he comes, Elijah girds up his loins, his loins, his cloth, his, his clothes. He tucks them in his belt, and he runs ahead of, Elijah, of Ahab's chariot all the way back to Samaria, and, and he outruns him. That's pretty good movement, you know, to outrun a horse. Here's this old prophet of God, and he's out running the chariot. And he gets back, and it's then that, that Jezebel confronts him and tells him she's going to kill him. So what does he do? He runs into the wilderness, and he finds a juniper tree, and he gets under it. And he goes to sleep. He's so worn out. While he's sleeping, an angel comes, wakes him up. I don't know how gently he woke him up. He might have just tapped him on the shoulder. He might have just rubbed his head. He might have kicked him in the side. I don't know. But he wakes up, and he says, arise and eat. Arise and eat. So he gets up, and he finds some bread, baked on hot stones, a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and, and what does he do? He's worn out. He lays down again. He lays down again. And so as he's lying there, all of a sudden, the angel touches him again and says, wake up. So he wakes up. And he said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead may be too much for you. Arise and eat some more, for the journey ahead may be too much for you. Sometimes God lays the table before us, and he tells us to rise and eat. You need the strength. You need what God has for you. Sometimes we don't want to eat it. Maybe, maybe we don't like the bread that's set before us. It might be something that confronts us in our sin. It might be something that, 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 that may be offensive to us because we think we've been doing quite well. But God says, no. Here, arise and eat. Eat this. You need it. And, and then he wants us to eat it again. We've got to hear it again and again. That's what meditation in the Word of God is about. When we meditate on the Word, it's like a cow chewing her cud. You know, she... She takes it down in her belly. She's got four stomachs, and so it's got to get all through the process. She can't get it down in one bite, so she's got to bring it up again and eat it and again and eat it. And that's kind of what meditation is about. We, we meditate on the Word of God. We whisper it. We mutter it to ourselves over and over again until we get it. 
How many of you are like me, a little hard-headed at times, and God has to tell you something several times before you get it? Am I the only one? You know, uh, you know what I'm talking about. God's spoken to you. You didn't get it the first time, so he has to, has to tell it to you again. And the first time you hear it, you didn't want to hear it. And the second time, you certainly didn't want to hear it. But God keeps telling you until you hear it. This is kind of where Elijah was. And Elijah had run, and he hid himself under that thing. And God speaks to him, and he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? He said, well, your people, they've forgotten all about you. They've, they have forgotten about your covenants. They've killed your prophets. If they get half a chance, they're going to kill me too. So let's just get it over with. Let's just get it over with. And God sends him on a journey from there. He says, arise and eat. He says, because you've got a journey ahead of you. So he gets up and he eats, and, and this angel gives him some food. And it's so good, it's so potent that it lasts him for 40 days. So he goes for 40 days into this journey till he gets to Mount Horeb. He gets to Mount Horeb, which is the mountain of God. The mountain of God. Everybody say the mountain of God. Mount Horeb is the mountain of God. And he gets there, and, and as they get to the mountain, God tells him, Elijah, you know, he goes and he hides himself in a cave and he starts complaining again. You know, we're prone to do that kind of thing, aren't we? You know, we complain about certain things. You know, my, my church, you know, they're, they're not like the other churches. They, we, we just don't have this and we don't have that. Well, maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe we need bodies, people that will be willing to step up and say, yeah, I'll do this, Pastor. I'll do whatever you want me to do in order to carry forth the vision that God has put in your heart because it's not my vision, it's God's vision. And God says, all right, we need to work together to make this happen. Sometimes we don't want to hear it because it requires something of us. We have to, we have to kind of adjust our schedule a little bit in order to fit into what God wants us to do. And so, so this is kind of, kind of what Abraham, or, or uh, what's the guy's name? Elijah. Elijah is fussing about, you know, they want to kill me. The people don't like me. And they want to kill me. And God says, all right, I want you to go stand out on the mountain. So Elijah goes out and he stands there. And the Lord begins to pass by. Elijah is is standing out on the mountain, and all of a sudden things begin to happen. First, there's there's a great strong wind. Surely, if there's a great strong wind, if there's something happened, God's gotta be in it. Amen? No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Sometimes just because things are happening doesn't mean that God is orchestrating it. Because we can do some pretty good stuff in the soul and in the flesh and think that God's all in it, you know, and it's not. Sometimes I've heard of revival meetings and things like that, and, and everybody runs to check it out, and, and, and it's almost like a flash in the pan. It's like everybody runs to it, and there's nothing there, really. No life-changing experiences or nothing. Nobody getting saved. No real true conversions or nothing. Just kind of a, uh, a get-together, and everybody have a good old time. And that's kind of the wind. There's a lot of blowhards activity taking place. And that's what Elijah saw. There was a strong wind, but it says the Lord was not in the wind. Second... After the wind came an earthquake. That was a shaking. Surely God was in that, right? God wasn't in it either. He was not in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. And then 
After the earthquake, there was the fire. We want the fire of God. We want this. We want that. You know, I've heard people get down on their face and cry out, Lord, send the fire, not knowing what they're crying for. What does fire bring? It burns. It cleanses. When there's a fire, when the fire of God comes, there's repentance that takes place. It burns out the dross. It, it cleanses. And a lot of times we don't want that. We want, to, we want to feel good. We want the emotional experience. And we want that quick change. We want God to do something immediately. And, folks, I've been there myself. I've gone to the altar many, many times. I'm like, oh, God, change me. Change me, Lord. And I wait. And I get up and I think, wow, praise God, I'm changed. And the next day, guess what? No different than it was the day before. Because a lot of times change does not take place that quickly. Change is a process. It's a process called transformation. It's like this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away, and all things become new. They are becoming new. It's kind of like the moth that lays an egg. And out of the egg comes a worm that spins a cocoon and lives inside that cocoon until the transformation is ready to take place, until a metamorphosis of change develops inside that cocoon. You know, we, we want to, do, to take the fast track to maturity and growth, and it doesn't happen that way. It involves struggle. It involves a lot of things happening. It involves needing nourishment and getting nourishment to draw the strength to emerge in the way that God wants us to. And it's been scientifically proven that if you take a cocoon and you open that cocoon up, you know what you do? You kill what's inside. You kill it. If you open it up before it's time. We're the same way spiritually. God wants to change us. Bill, could you drop that temp down just a little tiny bit? Maybe I'm the only one that's burning up. Am I, am, is it too hot? Okay, drop it down a little bit. Thank you. Anyway, that, because I feel like a, a, a worm in a cocoon. I'm struggling here. But if you try to open it up and you try to help it out, if you try to take an egg and break a little chick out of an egg, you're going to destroy the contents. You're going to destroy what's in because it is the struggle that allows the metamorphosis to take place. But if you watch a cocoon, you watch what happens, it will eventually, a moth, a beautiful moth or a butterfly will emerge out of the cocoon if you just leave it alone and let the process take place. That's what's got to happen to us, that metamorphosis of change. And it can't happen when we just, we just want the fire. But what the fire does in our life, we cry out for fire. And a lot of times what people are really wanting, we're wanting that emotional experience. But what we're praying for is for God to send trial, fire, fiery trials into our life. And that's not a bad thing. Actually, it's a good thing. Because they bring forth growth. They bring forth change in our life. And it, but, but we want something different from what we're asking for. And that's what was happening here. The fire. But God wasn't in the fire. 
Then after the fire, it says, there was a sound of a gentle blowing. The King James Version says the sound of a still, small voice. The whispers of God. Now, if this room where everybody were talking at one time, and somebody wanted to whisper something to you, what would have to happen in order for you to hear the whisper? Could you whisper across the room into the middle of a crowd and be able to hear what someone is saying? Would that happen? No. What would you have to do? You'd have to get close. You'd have to get up right to their mouth in order to hear the whisper. And Elijah's on this mountain, and God is wanting to speak to him, but it doesn't speak in the wind, the earthquake, or the fire, but he speaks to him in a still, small voice. And sometimes that's what God does to us. He brings us to the end of ourself when we're so exhausted. We've done, we work so hard. I know when we, we, we moved in here on our first Sunday several weeks ago, I was so tired. I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it in here to even preach or not on Sunday morning. I was excited. But I was like, whoo, I'm excited. Because I was so physically exhausted from all the work that we had done for the past three or four months just trying to get in here. And that exhaustion sometimes will bring us to that place, and it's not a bad place to be, where we have to totally and completely depend on God. I was supposed to be in Mexico next weekend. I was supposed to leave out on Saturday or uh, Thursday morning and fly to Mexico to Tapachula and do a pastor's conference. And I called and I begged them to postpone it for a couple of months just to give us opportunity because the last several times I've gone down to Mexico to minister, I've gone on the tail end of a 21-day fast. And when I've arrived there, I've arrived with a sensitivity to the Spirit that I wouldn't have had if I not had spent those 21 days fasting and seeking the Lord. Elijah had been eating what God had given him to drink, eat and drink. He had not received anything else, only what God provided. When he said, arise and eat, who provided the meal? God did. Both times. And it gave him the strength. It gave him what he needed to be able to go into the wilderness to find that place and, and, and even to pour his heart out before God. God said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm at the end of myself. I've, I've, I've done all these things. I've, I've stood up for you. I've, I've challenged the prophets of Baal, and, and I've challenged Ahab and Jezebel. And, and look at me. Look at me. They killed all the prophets of God. They torn down your altars, and now they're after me. Anybody ever feel like that? Man, I'm just used up. I am just, woe is me. We feel that way sometimes. This is where Elijah, this prophet of God who had seen such great miracles, he had raised the dead, he had killed the false prophets, he had challenged and, and seen God do some incredible stuff. And now he's at the end of himself and he says, just, just kill me, God. It would be better for me to be dead than to be in the position I'm in. And God begins to whisper to him. He begins to talk to him and he begins to tell him, What's to come? 
When we get before the Lord in our quiet time, we go into our closet to seek him. That's kind of like what Elijah was doing when he went to this cave, when he went to this place that, that nobody else was around, and he could only hear one voice, and that's what he was wanting to hear. We all need that, don't we? We need that quiet time. We need that place. And, and, and we're getting ready to start on a 21-day journey. And the food that you're going to be getting for the next 21 days is going to be angel food. It's going to be what God is feeding your spirit. Because fasting involves this, it involves abstinence from, from the things that, that appeal to the flesh. First of all, food. What is the one thing that draws people more than anything else? Well, I've heard it said, if you feed them, they'll come. I know this to be true. I was a youth pastor for many years, and, and that was one of the tricks of the trade. If you want kids to come out, you feed them, they'll show up. I found it to be true. You feed the kids, they'll come. Because everybody loves to eat. How many in here don't like to eat? You got it, man, Nobody. Everybody loves to eat. We don't like what it does to us sometimes because we have a tendency to overeat, but we love to eat, and that's a good thing. But the flesh cries out for certain things, and food is the chief thing that it cries out for. So when we abstain from it, what happens? It begins to reveal to us all the other appetites that our flesh is crying out for. You got three main enemies in your life. I'm going to give them to you. Now, we would think, first of all, it would be the devil. The devil would be our chief enemy. I want to tell you who your chief enemy is. It's the world around us. It's the worldly system that we are in. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, 1 through 3, he says, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you do what? I pres- that you be not conformed to this world. What is the world? He's, what is he talking about? That you, don't be, that you don't get swallowed up in the system. That you don't become formed. That you don't let them form who you are and define who you are. But that you be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind. For what purpose? So that you can prove what is that perfect and acceptable and pleasing will of God. So, you know, we, we, are, we are in a world and, and, and our chief enemies are the world. Number two, the flesh. What is the flesh? Everybody pinch yourself. No? We, we, wanna, we want to do what makes this feel good. It's the old mantra, if it feels good, do it, you know? So what are the things that our flesh cries out for? What is it that it, want, it wants entertainment? It wants food? It wants pleasure? So all of these things that our flesh cries out for, we have to do something in order to bring it in line with what the Spirit desires. Because if we just live according to the dictates of our flesh, then we will produce what the flesh desires. How can I prove that to you? Well, according to the Word of God, 
it says in Galatians 5, 16 through 24, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its, its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition one to another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, which I forewarn you that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. Verse 24, say this with me. Now those who belong, say it with me now. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You want to know what fasting truly really is all about? It's about this. It's about crucifying our flesh so that you can come alive in the spirit. Because if you walk in the flesh, it'll destroy you. If you walk in the Spirit, you'll live, you'll have life. You'll have the real life God wants us to have. But how do we do that? Well, if we keep doing what the flesh desires, then we'll keep. It's kind of like the old thing that says, you know, what uh, um, uh, insanity is. What is it? Insanity is doing the same thing over and expecting different results. That's insanity. So we've got to make a change somewhere, somehow. And that's why Jesus tells us when you fast, he didn't say if you fast, when you fast, he said, wash your face, comb your hair, get the sourpuss look off your face. Because if you go around with a pouty look like I'm fasting, oh God, I'm just hurting so bad. I, just, oh, I haven't eaten since breakfast. I'm about to die. If we do this, then we've already gotten our reward. We, we, you know, we get nothing out of it. It's not about that. It's not about, you know, just enduring the pain. It's about crucifying the flesh. Because if we fast, if we abstain from food, if we abstain from other worldly pursuits, and in their place we go hard after God, we go after him, then we'll find the answers that we're looking for. Now, Elijah was a man with like passions just like you and me. And when he got exhausted, when he got afraid, what did he do? He ran and he found a place where he could get along with God. And when he did, he wasn't afraid to reveal his heart to God. And when he did, God answered him, though not in the way most of us would look for. He didn't come in a, in a wind. He didn't come in the fire. He didn't come in an earthquake. But he came in that still, small voice. And in order... To get that still, small voice, we have to get along with God and listen to the whispers as he speaks to us. And I had mentioned when I went to Mexico the last two years, there was such a spiritual sensitivity inside of me, and it's like there was such a peace, no matter what happened, it didn't rattle my boat. And we were in Mexico City, we, we missed our flight. 
And I was with Nathaniel Woods Jr. and, and, and preach, as y'all know him. And we were in Mexico City. We missed a flight. We were supposed to arrive in Tapachula before dark, which they asked us to do. They said it's dangerous after dark. So, so you need to get there before dark. And we, we, had, we had set our flight to be there at 4 o'clock. Well, we missed our flight by that much. We're walking down, and we get almost to the plane, and they're shutting the door because they had misdirected us to our, to our gate. They had posted on the, on the screen that the plane was going to be in one place, and then they changed, and they moved it to another. And before we could get from this gate to that gate, which was a long way off, by the time we got there, and we're running as hard as we can go, and when we get there, they're closing the door of the plane, and we're like, and you know, my flesh, if I had not been fasting would have gone berserk. As the country boy said, it had gone Berkshire. Because I was just, you know, it was their fault that we missed the plane, and yet they would not let us in. They saw us coming, and they shut the door in our face, basically. wouldn't let us on the plane. And then they had the audacity to charge us $200 per ticket to get another flight to fly from Mexico City to Tapachula. Well, if you're walking in the flesh, how are you going to react? But God just helped us to be calm and collected. We paid it. We went. And we reasoned among ourselves, there's got to be a reason why this has happened. So we flew into Tapachula, and when we get there, the dear folks in Tapachula had reserved a interpreter, translator for us, to help us, you know, talk to each other because I don't speak Spanish and they didn't speak English. And so we had a, had a guy there to meet us at the airport and he stayed from 4 o'clock to 9 o'clock and he had to leave. So by the time we got there, he was gone. They had nobody, so they had to go into a bar and find somebody that could speak English. And they found an old guy that was a retired police officer from Brooklyn. 60-something years old, 66 years old. No rusty, retired police officer who grew up, his parents were from Panama, and so he spoke Spanish fluently, and, and he was able to translate for us. So we're in the back seat of the car going from the, air, from, the, from the airport back to the hotel, and what would normally take about 20 minutes, God directed our conversation, and the Holy Spirit began to minister to this man. We started talking to him about Jesus and his need for salvation. And it was quite comical, really, how it came about that the conversation turned toward witnessing to him because, you know, he kept bringing up all kinds of crazy stuff. And finally, I just said to him, I said, look, I want you to understand something. I gave my life to Jesus years ago. and God has done so much for me. And I started telling him all that God had done, how he had healed me and delivered me and set me free. And it just perked his, it caught his attention. Started talking to him about that. And he just sat there and he just took it all in. And I started sharing scripture with him. And I could hear Nathaniel over there just praying in the Holy Ghost, just praying. And, and, and the pastor in the front seat, who was from another town, knew enough of what was going on. He caught enough English that he knew what was happening, so he had the driver to slow down. So here we are creeping along. And I'm talking to him about Jesus, and I talked to him all the way to the hotel. We get to the hotel, you know, and we, we, we go to bed. The next day we get up, we go, and we meet uh, these pastors for breakfast at this little restaurant. And when we get there, guess who shows up? It's, it's a, our translator. They bring them with them. 
And by the way, it was Katya and, and, uh, and Imner who, who were there with all the pastors. Now, you know, both of them speak English. But they didn't let on. They just sat on the other end of the table. They, they knew what was happening. So they're sitting on the other end of the table, and he comes and he sits down next to me at the head of the table on this end, and he says to me, you know what you told me last night? He said, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I just couldn't get it out of my, he said, I didn't sleep a wink last night. So I started talking to him about Jesus again. Just talk to him about the Lord. Well, we, we had breakfast, and, and after breakfast, we're getting ready to leave, and, and we were going to go and, and speak at a, a radio station, and that night, we were having a meeting that one of the pastors had, had set up and, at his church, and so we were getting ready to leave, and, and I asked this guy, his name was Mario, I said to Mario, I said, Mario, I said, would you come tonight to our meeting? He says, I don't think so. He says, tonight's the night I get together with my friends, and we play cards and, and, and drink beer. I said, we well, don't want to do that tonight. I said, you ought to come tonight. He said, nah. He said, maybe another night, but not tonight. He said, I told you I fast beer and wine on the weekends, but on, through the week, he says, I, you know, I, I go after it. So I said, okay. I said, that's fine. I said, but, but um, you know, anyway, I, I reached to shake his hand. He pulled his hand back. And I said, what's wrong? He said, I said, I want you to shake my hand. He said, no, look at my hands. I looked at his hands, and they were like this. They were just all gnarled up and drawled up. And I said, uh, I said, what's wrong with your hands? He said, I've got arthritis so bad. He said, my feet hurt, my hands hurt. And I noticed when he walked in, he was limping real bad. And I said, let me see your hands. And he says, he kind of reluctantly laid his hands out there, and I just took his hands in mine just very gently, and I started to pray. I was just asking God to touch him. And I'm praying for him, and the pastors, they come around him, and they lay their hands on him. And we're praying for him, and, and I look down, and his hands that were like this, they started to go like this. They started just, just open up. The next thing you know, they're just laid out there, and the knots are gone from his fingers. And, and it's just, I can see a, a miracle taking place right in front of my eyes. And I said to him, I said, Mario... I said, look at your hands. And Mario looked at his hands, and I quote, this is what Mario said. I didn't say it. It's what he said. He said, what the hell? (laughs) And I said, Mario, hell had nothing to do with this. I said, Jesus healed you. Wow. He said, I said, I noticed you were limping when you came in. He said, oh, my feet hurt so bad. I said, I bet you they don't now. I said, stomp. He said, no. I said, stomp your foot. So he stomped his foot. And he goes. I said, stomp the other one. He goes. And he starts jumping up and down. <laughs> and he's doing this. And I said, Mario, are you coming tonight? He said, I'll be there. So that night, Mario came and he sat on the front row. And I preached a message. And Mario sat there the whole time. Big tears just flowing down his face. And. When the altar call was given, Mario was the first one to respond. He didn't even wait. He got up and came on down and gave his heart to Jesus, and six other people gave their hearts to the Lord, and Emer baptized him the next day. And come to find out, his wife, who was a believer, had been praying for him for 14 years. But he gave his heart to Jesus. There were many other things happened during that time, and it was because of prayer and fasting 
We went to one church and we preached. The last night we were there, we preached in a church and, and there was a man that was brought up front. And he would sit right in front of me. They put him strategically right in front of me. And I'm up there preaching and, and I wanted to so bad to go down and lay hands on him and command him to come out of that chair because his head was laid back like this and his mouth was wide open. And, and, and saliva was draining down his neck onto a towel that they had around his neck. And his eyes were rolled back in his head and his face was jaundiced. And you could just see his yellow, his liver was already failing. And he's just laying there in front of me. And I kept, I wanted to so bad to go lay hands on him. But every time I did, it's like the Lord would just, the Holy Spirit would just check me and say, don't do it. Don't do it. Just keep preaching. And I kept preaching. I was talking about the wind of God and the power of God and how we need the wind of the Holy Spirit to move in our midst and, and, and how we need to depend on the Lord. And, and, and so after we were through, I, I told the pastors, I said, I want the pastors to come and all the leaders to come, and we're going to lay hands on you. I'm not going to lay hands on anybody for healing or anything else, just on the leaders, but I want the leaders to go and lay hands on the sick and minister to those among you. And so they came, and we started laying hands on them and praying for them. And I don't, pay, I don't pay any attention else to what's going on. And there's all kinds of things happening all around us. That place was just full. It was about the size of this area here, and it was full of people, just jam-packed. And they're praying for one another, and the leaders are laying hands on people. And, and so the next thing I know, the guy's gone, and I don't know what happened to him. But the next night, we come back, and we're there, and... Praise and worship team, you have to understand, folks, when you go to Mexico, it's not like we have here. We have 20, 30 minutes, and you got a time schedule. You know, if you're not out at a certain time, they don't leave. My wife is holding up the clock, so she can tell me it's time. But they don't leave. I mean, they, they worship for a couple of hours at least. So the worship team is probably in their second, maybe into the third hour of worship. And all of a sudden, I look up there, and I see this guy up front, and he's just real exuberant. He's just worshiping God, and he's jumping around. He's dancing all over the place. and He looks so familiar, and I'm like, who is this guy? I know him from somewhere, and I'm thinking, you know, I go to different places, and a lot of times I'll meet people that I met before in other places and other countries and things like that, and I wonder how in the world you got here. And I'm thinking, I know this guy from somewhere. Where is he from? And I, I, I lean over, and, and he gets up, and he starts talking. Everybody's just, woo, they're just c- celebrating. And, I, of course, I'm lost because I don't speak Spanish. And I lean over to Enmer, and I said, Enmer, who is that guy? Enmer said, last night, the man in the, the chair, he had brain cancer. He died, brain cancer, just days to live. He said, but the Lord healed him. I said, that's the guy that was here last night? See? <laughs> and he was just dancing all over the place, and his skin would clear it up. I and mean, he was just, it was, a, it was an absolute miracle of God. I mean, God, you're so good. I didn't touch him, but God did. Prayer and fasting will bring about these kind of results. And folks, I've had people say, Pastor, what are we going to do now that we got this building? I don't know. We're going to pray. We're going to fast. We're going to seek God. And we're going to do what he says to do. 
then God will do the rest through us. He uses vessels that are submitted to him. And when we pray and when we fast and we seek the Lord, we are getting ourselves out of the way. Maybe a good death for us in the, in the flesh is a good thing to allow the Holy Spirit to really do what God wants to do. Elijah had come to God. He said, it's over with for me. I'm done. And the Lord said, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and I want you to anoint Hazael, the king of Aram. And those that survive from him, then I want you to anoint Jehu. And those who, who he doesn't get, then, you know, you'll take care of the rest. He said, I want you to go get Elisha and lay hands on him. He's the one that's to take the mantle from you, and he'll carry on your work. He'll take care of the rest of it. So God gave him a directive, but see, he would have never gotten that directive had he not ran to the juniper tree, if he had not gone to that cave, if he had not cried out to God, if he had not heard from God and heard that still, small voice because it was a still, small voice that gave him the direction that God wanted him to go. I've been told here, prophetic utterance concerning Destiny City by the same man that told us we would have this place and how it would come about, it was prophesied that we would have a place because we were looking at another place. And he said, it's not this place. God has another one for you. And this came about so quickly. I, I just, it just, it's like, how did it happen? It's almost like, I don't know. It just did. God just did it. But the same person that told us this said to me, you got to hear the whispers of God. He said, you're going to see incredible things. You're going to see people coming, and they're not going to know why they came there. Maybe they saw it on the Internet. Maybe somebody invited them. Maybe they're just driving by. But if people are going to be coming from all different ethnic groups and nationalities into this church, he said, you're on the cutting edge of revival, but he said, you've got to hear the whispers of God. And that means that I have to get quiet before him. There are things happening in your life, and you're wondering what's going on. And the only way you're going to find out is to hear the whispers of God. Find that secret place. Go hide under the juniper tree. Go crawl in a closet somewhere and get before God. And hear what he has to say to you. These 21 days present an opportunity for you to really hear from God concerning what's ahead. There's a lot of things happening around us, things that would cause our hearts to fear, but God doesn't call us to fear, does he? For I have not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. God hasn't called us to be afraid of what's going on. He's called us to rise up and be a challenge. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. God is calling us to stand up and be a force to be reckoned with. But we can't do it in the flesh. It has to be in the spirit. So I want to challenge you for the next 21 days. The next 21 days. If you can take the challenge, if you can do it, a complete fast is the best way to do it. That's the most powerful, potent way to get it done. If you have health issues and things like that, a Daniel fast is the second best way to do it because that gives you opportunity to take nourishment into your body, but you're still abstaining from certain things that you like, such as coffee and sugar and white stuff and, you know, like flour and bread and all those kind of things, which really aren't that good for you. 
in the place you're eating fruits and vegetables and drinking water, which is so much better than soft drinks and all the other stuff that we drink. And you'll actually get healthier if you'll do the Daniel fast. We have guides for you back there on the counter where that young gentleman is standing back there. And you can stop by and pick one of those up. They'll give you devotional guide. They'll give you um, um, recipes, things you can prepare, foods you can prepare that are really delicious foods. Not quite what you've been used to eating. Still cause you to have to crucify the flesh to a great extent. But you can still do it. And you'll still hear from God. The other thing you can do is maybe fast a meal a day where you just absolutely do nothing but take that time that you fast that meal, though. If you just don't eat, you're just doing without food. But if you'll take that time and get before the Lord and pray, because fasting without prayer really doesn't amount to much, just doing without food. But if you pray and fast, you're going to hear from God. Another way you can do it is kind of do what I call a hybrid fast, is what my wife and I do. You know, the Jewish fast involves not eating from sunup to sundown. So that's kind of what we do. We don't eat up from sunup to sundown, and then after sundown, we eat a Daniel fast. We, we do the Daniel fast thing. You know, beans and vegetables and stuff like that. That gives us the energy and strength to do the things that we need to do, and yet we're still abstaining and we're still hearing from God. I'll tell you this because there's great power in it when you pray and you fast and you seek the Lord. And folks, we need to hear. I have people ask me the question all the time, what should I do? My answer to them is always, hear from God. Hear from God. There's certain things that I can tell you to do, but you really need to hear from God. You need to hear that still, small voice. And what did I say early on in the message? If you want to hear somebody in a crowded room on the other side, you can't just whisper to them and expect them to hear. What do you have to do? You have to draw near. Draw near. James chapter 4 says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Some of you have been struggling with issues in your life for a long time and you haven't gotten victory over them. Maybe you've had habits. You've had other things that have just held on to you and you haven't been able to break them. This is a way to do it. It's through prayer and fasting. These kinds come out not but by prayer and fasting. So I want to encourage you for the next 21 days. I can't make you. God won't even make you. It's got to be your choice. But if you want victory in your life, if you want to deal with issues in your life, this is a way to do it. I promise you, you'll see victory if you dare to do it. It takes a little thing we call discipline. And so many times we don't want to discipline ourselves. We just want it to happen. We want God to zap us in some kind of meeting or something and just deal with all of our problems and issues and we're good to go. But it doesn't happen that way. We have to crucify the flesh. And this is the way to do it. I know it's not going to be easy, so that's why we're going to conclude this service today by praying for you. I know it's not easy. 
And for some of you today that you've come today and, and this is a brand new, brand new day, a brand new year for you. And I know there's some people here today that are hurting on the inside. This morning as we were, we walked in, I just had an overwhelming sense of the pain that some people are feeling today. And it just, just, it brought me to tears because I know some of you are hurting. And you cried out to God and it seems like there just hasn't been an answer, but God wants to touch you today. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Because God wants to touch you. So if that's you today, I want to invite you to come. And we're going to pray and we're going to release those that need to go. And we're going to spend some time here at the altar ministering to the rest of you that need a touch from God. Whether it's a physical touch, an emotional touch, a financial touch, whatever the touch you need from God is. We're going to tell him, and we're going to join together, and we're going to agree with you, and we're going to see God do something. So let's just stand to our feet. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.